The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for showing up. I was actually just looking on the website, the uh, IMC website last night to try to get directions because I'd only been here once before and Bhikkhu Bodhi was sitting in this seat so it's an honor to sit in the Dharma seat. Yeah, I saw that Gil is on retreat and that's why he asked me to come and I was like, oh, maybe there'll be 20 people, you know. There's a retreat, he's doing a retreat, so. But then here you all are. So nice. Just adding a little bit to my nervousness. I'm ready. It's also the first time I've worn a Dan Fangled machine on my ear. <laughs> hmm. So let me just start with um, teaching from the Buddha, which I feel like just encapsulates my whole talk, so maybe I'll just end there. I don't know. <laughs> it's from the Dhammapada. Look within. There is no fire like greed, no crime like hatred, no sorrow like separation, no sickness like hunger of heart, and no joy like the joy of freedom. Health, contentment, and trust are the greatest possessions, and freedom the greatest joy. Look within. Be still, free from fear and attachment. Know the sweet joy of living in the way. Beautiful. One of the things I love about the Buddhist teaching is that it's so many of the direct translations are eloquent and simple and deep. And there's always an instruction. Look within. Be still. Live in a good way. Is there really any other instruction? Of course, we like to translate things and retranslate things. And so I've done a little bit of that myself. So the title of my talk which is another way of looking at that teaching that I just read, is called Meditate and Destroy. (laughs) And I'll hopefully tell you a little bit more about what that means. Really what we're talking about is meditate and destroy the greed, hatred, and delusion that are the roots of suffering in this world, the roots of suffering in in our lives. As practitioners, you know, we talk about rebelling against the conditions of the mind. That's really what this is. It's a mind training. And, re- and we're really, yeah, is it? I don't know. I'm not used to, re- I, I'm used to projecting my voice, so if I'm talking too loud. All right. Anyway, so we're trying to rebel against these conditions of the mind. Uh, often talked about as habits of mind. So rebel, and also we're rebelling against the go with the flow mentality. 
the go-with-the-flow mentality of corporate America, of the idea of consuming goods will make us happy, right? Buying into what's promised. If I only had the new iPad, the new iPhone, right? Uh, If I only had, you know, the right relationship or the right job, then I'd be happy. Whatever the new thing is, the shiny thing. And that we're really taught this from childhood, you know, especially in this country and even in other Western countries, in, in other uh, kind of some Southeast Asian and even Indian. So I've noticed as I've traveled, uh, there's a little bit of a different way. And we're, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, a little bit more alignment with the Buddhist teaching. So all of this kind of... Uh, rebellion, right? Often I get a little flack from people. They're like, why why do we have to rebel? Well, we are rebelling. The Buddha was really clear that I don't think people would make it. That's what he said. I don't think people are going to get it. It's so radical. It's going against the stream. And we have to apply some real effort, as you know, just trying to return to the present moment. After a thir- you know, for a 30-minute meditation, takes effort. So for me, this is rebellion. But of course, I was birthed in rebellion. So it fits for me. Hopefully for you too. So one of the things that I also want to talk about is just you know, checking out of ourselves. This is part of that kind of consumerist mentality that we're, we're so accustomed to. And that we're all showing up here on a Sunday morning or however often you show up here. We are rebelling against that kind of uh, mentality. So congratulations. You're part of the revolution. The revolution of mind. So uh, this kind of checking out of ourselves, out of our own wisdom, our own happiness that can be found within, this is really what the Buddha's pointing to. So the Buddha taught again and again how the roots of suffering, being greed, hatred, and delusion, have to be fully uprooted in order to obtain uh, what is called true happiness, right? Uh, happiness in what is. Happiness in the present moment versus the grasping kind of happiness. So not in what could be. Happiness in what is, not in what could be. I think we, I can speak for myself anyway, get lo- I get lost in that kind of what if. You know, it, and it's a simple grasping. So oftentimes, you know, the, 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 word, the words greed, hatred, delusion, people are like, oh, that's not me. Okay, what about grasping? Oh, yeah. Craving. Hmm. I want. I want things. So it can, so, can be brought down to the simplest, you know, terms and helpful So let's look at ways that we can identify these in our daily lives, right? And begin uh, to build a tolerance to our own selfish desires. Because that's really a lot of what the Buddha pointed to. The selfish desires. The wanting, the craving. 
the, the, uh, there's a wonderful translation of the second uh, foundation. No, the second noble truth. Wanting to be something and feel nothing. And the craving for that is the cause of suffering. That's uh, Ajahnamaro's translation of the second uh, noble truth. So greed. I'm going to break these down. Greed, hatred, delusion. And then I'm going to talk about their antidotes or their counterattacks. So that's kind of what I'm going to lay out here today. In the first, you know, in the first noble truth, the Buddha was really clear. You have to see suffering. And, and it's not like we don't. We see it a lot. But we've built up denial systems. So the Buddha was really clear in the first foundation. See it. Know it. Understand suffering. And then the second, and the cause of suffering. And so if we just rush to the solution without really looking at the problem, any scientists in the room, we know how fallible that could be. We really got to see the situation that we're in. And I think sometimes in Buddhism, especially here in the States, there's a lot of uh, rushing to the happiness. Happy, happy, joy, joy. And there's plenty of room for that. But we also have to acknowledge why it is that we're not dwelling there all the time. Why is that? I'm not sure if I like this thing. <laughs> It'll work. I have a version. <laughs> So greed can also be called the wanting mind, right? The mind of dissatisfaction. It often plays out in thoughts, fantasies, ideas of getting what we want. You know, the subtle and constant feeling of not having enough. These roots of suffering are broken down into, in Buddhism to mean the kilesas. Kilesa is a Pali word that really means torments of mind. And when I heard that translation, I was like, Oh, yeah, I know that one. I know the torments of mind really well. Especially when I first started meditating, you know. I did, you know, some years of meditation without knowing anything about Buddhism. I didn't know nothing, one damn thing. I knew how to sit and watch my breath, and that was it. It was helpful. But I'm also grateful to have learned a bit, too. So these torments of mind, right? Craving, aversion, delusion, uh, in their various forms. Some of the ways that we might see them is uh, anger, arrogance, envy, miserliness, dishonesty, violence, pride, conceit, and confusion. In in meditation, they may come up as the hindrances. Basically different versions of the hindrances. This is actually what I really love about the Buddhist teaching. It reminds me of those Russian dolls. There's one really big one, you know, the Four Noble Truths. And then you unpack it, and then it's the Eightfold Path. And then you unpack it, and it's, you know, the seven of these, and the 20 of those, and the 37 of these. And there's just, just keeps going and going and going. Simple and deep. I love that. So the three 
roots of suffering, greed, hatred, and delusion, well, they break down. They break down into the, the five hindrances. Right? The, the fantasy, the craving, the wanting, the aversion, the dislike, the pushing away, the sleepiness, the sluggishness of mind, the restlessness, the remorse, agitation, distraction. These are all just ways that in our own practice uh, these hindrances may arise. So in, med- in meditation, you know, we can begin to rebel against these qualities of mind, right? By using them as a focus of meditation. I love that about this practice. It's so much about, okay, awareness. This present time awareness. And when we get kind of lost and we recognize that we're lost, all we need to do is come back to that present time awareness again and again and use it as the key. So we can bring uh, the, the hindrances into light you know, for what they are, as greed, hatred, and delusion, and see them ultimately as unskillful qualities not leading to happiness. Oh, this is an unskillful quality, not leading to happiness. I'm not going to follow it. Right? It was only that easy. Because we all know what it's like to be however many minutes lost into some fantasy or story or desire, and then going, oh, I'm totally thinking right now. And then usually there's a layer of judgment or, un- you know, whatever, self-attack. This is what the Buddha was talking about. Yeah, This is not helpful. Gets in our way. So just simply saying, I see you greed or laziness, and then coming back to the anchor, being the breath or the body, this will weaken the hold that these kalesas have on the mind. And so this, you know, meditate and destroy is really about what the Buddha pointed to again and again. It's really an uprooting. And how do we do that? By pulling one little rootlet at a time. And this is how we're going to weaken the hold that uh, greed, hatred, and delusion have on us. So luckily, the Buddha also gave the counterbalance or the antidote to these roots of suffering in the practice of generosity. You know, the giving for the sake of giving in loving kindness. You know, a positive regard for all living beings. And then delusion by offering the Dharma, thus gaining knowledge and wisdom. So really I'm going to focus the rest of the talk there. On generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. Because ultimately this is what the Buddha is talking about. This is the Eightfold Path. But first, we have to understand what's our ailment. We're crazy. Right? And uh, pretty narcissistic. Yeah, that's our ailment. <laughs> Why is that? Because we have this greed, this hatred, this delusion that's just growing and growing and growing. This, del- this delusion, really, ultimately, you know, and then, so I was talking about the Russian doll, so then you put it all back. Really, ultimately, it's just all delusion. 
This falsity of self. But that's another talk. And Gil's probably better at it than me. So we'll stick with generosity for a minute. So there are three aspects of giving or of generosity from the Buddhist perspective. That, uh, you know, there's this what's called beggarly giving. There's what's called friendly giving. And there's what's called kingly giving. So beggarly giving, you know, this means kind of giving only with one hand or, uh, you know, kind of still holding on to what we give. So it's kind of giving with a little bit of, there's some regret in the giving. There's some skepticism some fear of scarcity. Uh, this, is, this is what's called beggarly giving. And then there's also the insecurity of this around kind of wondering if we gave too much or too little. There's this kind of insecurity around it because the heart is still kind of holding back. It's not about what we give. It's how the Buddha's really talking about. And I actually love... Uh, the, and I love that this center and uh, the center that I work at too or that I teach at is also uh, strictly on a Donna basis and it's such a beautiful place of practice around that like you know giving like a dollar or two dollars or when you write it when you're writing the numbers on the check like what, what how does my heart feel like paying attention to it it's really what the Buddha was pointing to it's not what it is it's how so this friendly giving this is the giving that is open-handed, right? We take what we have and we share it because it seems appropriate. It's a clear giving. The emphasis you know, of friendly giving isn't on how much, but on the intention behind it. So this is obviously the opposite of this uh, beggarly or miserly giving. I really like to... I usually give uh, this kind of a talk around generosity right around the holidays because it's such an important time we're a little early now but still it's always a good talk it's always a good reminder about generosity and how you know how we participate so then there's you know uh this kingly giving right this is when we give the best or most of what we have even if none remains for ourselves that's what the teaching is that's a hard one. Even if none remains. We give the best of what we have instinctively, you know, with graciousness. And we've all really experienced this type of giving. You know, just giving the best of what we have because we really want to. Because it feels good. I've had some, uh, some amazing opportunities in my travels, both, you know, being uh, in monasteries and then going on bindabat, going on, on alms rounds. With the, with the monks and just seeing how each house in each village would give all that they could, even if it was one scoop of, you know, of rice or one ladle of some kind of curry, just so beautiful, so gracious. It was a really an honor to see that. And then to be in other places in India, there, there was this... Uh, you know, in Bodhgaya, if any of you guys have ever been to Bodhgaya, there's all these monasteries, and some are huge and really elaborate, and then there's some really shabby ones, right? Some, and there's this, there was this one where all these little young uh, Bangladeshi monks, and they were all like way younger than me. They were like all in their 20s. Maybe, thir- or maybe the, the abbot was in his 30s. 
And there, Abbott had died. <clears throat> and they were like, um, they just didn't have much, you know, at all. And uh, I went and hung out with them and, you know, did the, some meditation and their kind of chanting. And, uh, and then was just so inspired by their generosity that I went and just like, I just got excited. And I was like buying all kinds of things, tea and cookies and toothpaste, and toothbrushes, and just all these things at all the little stores around. And I had all these bags and I came over and I just wanted to drop them off and leave. And they were not having that. But that's kind of the way that I was taught, like just to be humble and give, you know. And then there's this whole other part of giving where they were like, no, no, they wanted to take pictures and they were like, like, like they, I was all, hey, you know. <laughs> Like handing, you know, and there was very, they were very excited about it, and they wanted to really uh, honor the giving. And that was hard for me. I remember that being really hard. But anyway, so this is what I think the essence of what the Buddha's talking about. It's not what you give or, you know, or how much, but how it feels. And to also pay attention to the giving. That's what gladdens the heart. So what is it about? Generosity. Generosity is the direct antidote to greed, to that miserliness, that wanting, the mine, me, mine, that we're all so victim to. So the next is loving kindness. So loving kindness in Vipassana, you know, we're training ourselves to rebel against, or in, I'm sorry, in, in Vipassana, in this kind of mind training, we're rebelling ourselves, I'm sorry, in this mind training, we're trying to rebel against the conceptual mind. The, uh, instead of observing the conceptual mind, we're just letting thoughts move through, right, without spending too much time on them. So Vipassana and loving-kindness practice is actually very different. And a lot of times people really get confused when we, we try to shift. They're like, wait, first I'm like looking at no self and just allowing thoughts to move through my mind. And then now I have to really, I'm like creating this heart and extends, extending it out and visualizing people. And like that's so, it's different. Yeah, it's a different practice. It's a practice specifically to let go of uh, uh, kind of hatred or aversion. So in loving kindness, right, we're re-engaging this conceptual mind. But also we're purifying it and reshaping it towards the greater good. But this is how that shift takes place. You know, by focusing on our own good nature and the good nature of others. This is, and I really like to think about it as good nature, one of the ways that I look at uh, love and kindness practice is um, our original goodness, kind of opposite of what some other uh, spiritual beliefs of original sin. And I'm not buying that. Original goodness. I'm really tapping into that and allowing that to grow, to cherish. So this you know, battles the resentment, anger, and separation that often causes much of our suffering. We should develop metta in our present time awareness. And this is uh, a practice that I do and something that I think 
I'm not sure if uh, Gil has ever instructed it or not. But, you know, whenever we, we recognize that our mind has wandered off and there's that layer of judgment or of not doing this right or this isn't for me or the doubt that comes in, to actually, what I, what I started doing some years ago is just overlaying, oh, like just some loving kindness there. Being gentle with myself. That, oh yeah, this, this is what minds do. They think and plan and wonder. And so having some compassion for our, our own tendencies of mind right, right in that moment when, when the judgment would cut through. So this is one way that we can use you know, metta, use loving kindness. So, you know, it's easy to send this uh, loving kindness out to a thousand people suffering, you know, in this country or that country, Burma. And it's beautiful to do that. Much harder to actually bring loving kindness to our own hearts, to our families, to our bosses, to our in-laws. So this is really uh, what I think the Buddha is pointing to. Um, and this is actually a teaching from Ajahn Samedo, or Longpur Samedo at this point, is that, you know, it's, it's much easier, he, he said it's much easier to send to a million people, you know, loving kindness, and, and much harder to do it to ourselves. So really to, to, to start here, and then extend out. Start in our own hearts. You know, here patience comes into play, seeing impatience as suffering and a cause of anger and resentment, that we turn our attention to developing patience for our impatience. Can we develop some patience for our own impatience? Um, I heard uh, John, John Travis, John Travis, yeah, uh, translate dukkha as impatience. I have to always love that. And so, in essence, uh, sukha, happiness, or would be patience. So it can be that simple. Right? Dukkha, impatience. So anytime that we're finding ourselves in a place of impatience, which, you know, I still suffer from, as do we all. Right? But the shift is just, oh yeah, we can just open into patience. And there's actually an ease there. My mom used to always tell me, you have to learn patience. She was right. Learn to be patient. Hmm. So this last um, and certainly not least aspect is wisdom. So the Dharma is the proof that this all works. And wisdom is the knowledge of that proof turning into experience. I love that line. I'm going to read it again. (laughs) The Dharma is the proof that this all works. And the wisdom is the knowledge of that proof turning into experience. And I I just love that that that's really the difference between what, what I consider knowledge or intellect and wisdom is is turning into the experience of it. And the Buddha pointed to that every teaching. Don't take my word for it. Don't believe a word that's spoken, a word that's written. See for yourself. 
It's actually the main reason why I even took on this practice. Is that there was that level of like, kind of anarchy. You know, like, don't believe me. Even the Buddha said that. Don't believe me. See for yourself. Love that. Develop your own wisdom. Don't just accept. So delusion, in my opinion, is a deeper form of ignorance. And this is what wisdom is counteracting. If we are ignorant to a certain uh, you know, knowledge or way of being, we will act out of ignorance and then form beliefs and opinions based on the lack of knowledge. So this is you know, one of the truest forms of, kind of, of uh, ignorance. And so for me, racism is a perfect example of this. Racism is just so, there's, there's such a level of delusion in there. You know, the belief that one group is superior to, to any other. It's ignorance. Especially if we really look at what the Buddha's teaching. Like how can we separate? So the Buddha Dharma is the direct coming into understanding of the truth of the Buddha's teachings. And then through learning, reflection, and development of meditation and living in a way that supports this uh, new understanding with a natural, will naturally lead to wisdom. So we have this knowledge, and then through the experience, we develop a deeper sense, right? Where it goes down inside. That felt sense. This is wisdom. This is insight. I read recently, because mostly, you know, what I say is things I've read or heard. There's not a whole lot of new ideas. But I loved it. Uh, The profound teaching in Buddhism is the one we haven't mastered yet. That's the profound teaching. Whatever that is. For me, it's this breath. Like, just this breath. I got that from uh, Ajahn Jayasaro. Jayasaro. I don't know how to pronounce his name. (laughs) In Thailand some years ago. So So this is the mind training that the Buddha gave as a tactical offense to battle the roots of our suffering. So through generosity, loving kindness, and patience, and hearing and understanding the Dharma, you know, we can meditate and destroy the kalesas, destroy the, the torments of mind. Now we're not necessarily destroying them uh, just by trying to shut them out or bash them down with hatred. It's really with awareness. We're destroying with awareness. There's this, uh, I'll close with this Native American uh, teaching about the two wolves. You guys have heard this before. There's the the dark wolf, you know, we'll call the the wolf of greed, hatred, and delusion. And then there's the light wolf, you know, 
the, the, the wolf of generosity and loving kindness and wisdom. And that they're in a constant battle. And that which one, which one wins, right? As the story goes, as the grandson is asking the grandfather around the fire, which one wins? And the grandfather just simply said, the one that you feed. So in each moment, in each day of practice, it's really, I think it's actually really easy to sit on the cushion. Okay, not really easy, but it's easier to sit on the cushion and really kind of develop these qualities. But when you're out in the world, right, the day-to-day dharma, the driving on the freeway dharma, you know, <laughs> that's the challenge. It goes against the stream, against the flow. That's what the Buddha asked us to do. It's the challenge, actually. Can you? Will you? I hope so. Thank you very much. I guess we'll open up for... Um, I did pretty good on timing. I'm excited. We'll open up for uh, some questions. If you guys have any questions about the, uh, the talk, the... Any thoughts, reflections? Oh, there's a... I was caught by your um, mother's voice Hmm. um, to practice patience in this moment. And just as a guide for how you have implemented that in your life, because there are plenty of times when I turn around and think having a more expansive, patient view of of the future would liberate me in this moment Hmm. um, from wanting other than what is here. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you self-talk or open up in those moments where when impatience is arising, there is a clamping down? Hmm. Um, How did you, with the help of your mother and other mentors, Hmm. work that? So, I really do believe that impatience is a beautiful translation of dukkha. And um, more so than stress. Because there's this idea that stress uh, can be fully eradicated if we look, look at that as dukkha, as suffering. But impatience really makes sense. Because the more patient that we are, the calmer and the more kind of connected we feel, I feel. And so recognizing that, sometimes it's hard, yeah. Sometimes it's difficult. Definitely not perfect. Not enlightened. But uh, what I, what, you know, as soon as you ask the question, I notice the impatience starts right about here. Like usually as a knot. And it's usually a knot of dissatisfaction with the way things are. And so if I can learn to just on a physical sense, on a... Uh, kind of body awareness sense, kind of soften. Uh, first acknowledge and then soften, actually. Um, then the kind of mental quality of patience is much easier to take hold. That 
if I just kind of rush to, oh, I'm being impatient again, then I become more impatient. Um, and I, again, like driving is my uh, all-time Dharma practitioner. <laughs> you know, driving on the freeways. I, I commute to San Francisco a lot. And so uh, there's a lot of impatience to work with traffic and whatnot. So that's, you know, so just practicing really little ways, you know, and then trying to find, oh, where am I caught? Where do I get caught? Where do I find myself the most impatient? In a line? At the store? Dealing with, you know, someone, a human, another human? Like seeing where there's places that I get caught. And then just trying to take a moment and, and breathe, just really breathing. Uh, you know, one of my teachers, Bob Stahl, gave me this beautiful way of really working with that. Stop. Right? Maybe you guys have heard that. Stop. Take a breath. Observe what's happening in your body and proceed with awareness. That's all you really need to remember is stop. Stop signs. Stop lights. Lines that you're in. Anytime where impatience actually can arise. Stop. Take a breath. Observe what's happening in your body Proceed with awareness. About a hundred times a day. Should do it. That's been my practice, my main practice. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for that question. Uh, you briefly mentioned the hindrances, and you mentioned there were three tools for fighting them. Specifically, you mentioned wisdom, you mentioned uh, dana, and you mentioned... Uh, Forgetting a second here. Metta. metta. And you mentioned the fact that the practice for metta is distinctly different from the practice of wisdom and basically our inside meditation itself. You did not mention any practice for dana. Mm. Do you have any recommendations for that? Mm. Yes. Uh, giving for the sake of giving, giving with an open heart. Practicing being generous as much as we can. You know, uh, my aunt, um, my aunt Cookie, when I was like 10, used to stand in front of doors and wait until I opened them. And she was training me uh, in a really beautiful way of like, this is what, this is what we do. You know, that we, we it's, 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 it's not only was she training me like, you know, how to be a gentleman, but she was also training me how to be generous. How to be kind, how to help people. And I feel like that can be monetary, that can be through service. Uh, you know, there's a, a meeting a little later on today, socially engaged Buddhism. That's a beautiful way to be generous, to, to, to really work with the quality of dana. I feel like uh, a couple of the stories that I told were, were actually kind of examples of, of how do we work with that. Yeah. And in the same way, anytime that we feel miserliness coming up because it comes up right greed scarcity you know i was raised poor so for me uh i didn't know what it, what, it, what it meant to have and so learning how to give from a place of uh of of lack of scarcity was actually really difficult for me for a long time it was a hard practice so learning like that kind of um quality and i think it's still it's felt it's a felt sense we know when the heart is open when we're giving 
And it can be through service, you know, through Donna here, right? Through uh, helping clean and set up or do all the things that we do. Yeah. But just p- paying attention to the giving when there's opportunities. And also, it doesn't mean that we have to be kingly giving and give up our house. And as a matter of fact, you know, uh, there's a piece about that that maybe I, I didn't talk about. The Buddha was really clear. Let me see if I can find it. That the Buddha instructed householders that acquiring wealth and financial security was a skillful source of happiness. So the Buddha actually really instructed that people go and work. There's a whole teaching around that. Be, be worker bees in a non-harming way. The way that bees collect uh, pollen from a flower without harming the flower. Be that way in the world. You know, but he did not consider you know, wealth to be the end for all happiness or the end, of, you know, the end of all happiness. But what you do with wealth and how we gain it, this is the real work of achieving happiness from the level of generosity. So it's not, you know, uh, he didn't give the same teaching around Donna to... Um, to monastics as he did to householders. And it's really about how, you know, how do we live? I think that's about all I have for that. I think we're, it's 10.45, right? Does that mean we're done? (laughs) This has been, it's been beautiful. I really, I, I appreciate you all being here and,